Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News show. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times for Paris Saint-Germain. PSG obtained another win against Bordeaux and celebrated Edinson Cavani's 200th goal at the club on Sunday, but lost Thiago Silva to injury, Neymar to a red card and conceded three goals. And that's without even mentioning what happened earlier last week. Elsewhere, it was a raucous weekend of action with Marseille losing for the first time in Ligue 1 since October at home to Nantes. Claude Puel dropped Sainte legend Stéphane Ruffier. And there's a new European football magazine in town, which we'll tell you all about. With all of that happening, you would almost forget the most important match of the week. Lyon, who beat Metz 2-0 on Friday, are receiving Juventus in the Champions League on Wednesday. Don't worry, we've got it covered. I'm your host, Pierre-Paul Birmingham. With me here today, Philippe Bargel, hello. Hi, good evening. Obviously, they covered the Dortmund match in the preview show last week. But do you have, you know, is there one specific little thought you would want to share with us, one feeling after what happened? Uh, one? No. <laughs> no, not really. I think it's, okay. been, it's, been, it's been pretty much covered. If it, and if I start talking about it, we'll probably, I'll okay. probably speak for 20 minutes. <laughs> Everything has so, been said. Uh, don't change that's good to know. Keep 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 to your standards, which you which we never do, and uh, mess it all up in February like we usually do. That's it. And we'll probably have to spend those 20 minutes talking about the Bordeaux match, anyways, because a lot happened there as well. Oh, I guess. Um, with us here, Rich Allen. Hi, Rich. Good evening. Uh, now, Rich, uh, GFFN have a very new, a very exciting new project. We just released together with uh, our Spanish, Italian and German friends from GSFN, GIFN and GGFN. Uh, we just released a brand new football magazine. It's called The Modern Footballer. Uh, you can buy a digital version or a paper version if you're like me and you like having it between your hands. It's all there at getfootballnewsfrance.com slash magazine. Um, so we highly encourage you to have a look at that. It's it's really great. Lots of people contributed to this project, including you, Rich. Uh, I did, yes. No, I was uh, very glad to be asked uh, to put together a piece on the one and only, it seems now, Eduardo Camavinga and his uh, fairly meteoric 12 months. So, uh very happy to to contribute with a with a profile piece on him, but yeah, as you say, lots of excellent writing from around France, from around Italy, from around Germany, from Spain, covering all sorts player profiles, club stories, um, snippets that you might not necessarily have heard of in the press. A lot of really really good pieces in it, so uh, it's going to be the first issue of many, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely, and Camavinga story is great. Obviously, our listeners were probably be familiar with him at this point because we've talked about him so much this season but you know there's a hundred pages in the in the magazine you're sure to find a lot of stories just like Kamavinga which are uh, super interesting and uh, finally here with us today uh, seeing as it's Lyon Juventus this week we have a great Juventus fan with us Elio Salerno hello hello good evening great to have you on thank you for having me um what kind of mood are you in ahead of this Champions League match? Um, I'm, I'm indifferent. Indifferent, okay. 
not I've not really given uh, too much thought about it. There seems to be so many questions hanging over Juve at the minute that it's uh, it seems to have crept up quite quickly. And although I should be confident, I'm not really sure what to expect. Hmm. Sounds fairly confident still. If you're indifferent, I would say. Um, but to be honest, up to a few weeks ago, I had also forgotten uh, about this game because um, I think not a lot of people are giving Lyon a chance. Uh, but we'll be talking about that in just a minute. Um, Lyon played on Friday uh, at Metz. Uh, they've got a 2-0 win uh, with a, a goal from Moussa Dembele on a penalty. Long story there, which we're about to talk about. And then Hussam Awar uh, scored the second one on uh, one of those goals where the goalkeeper had gone up and uh, Awar just uh, ran past everyone and passed it into the empty net. It was, I, I thought it was quite a fun goal, even though it's not too hard. Um, but Rich, what was the problem around the penalty for Lyon? Why were Mess so upset? Um, I suppose it's a two-prong uh, moan from, from mm-hmm. Metz's point of view. I mean, first of all, there was the actual decision itself. It was a handball that in a pre-VAR age isn't going really to be given as a handball. It's it's one of those where the ball's knocked against the defender's hand from about half a yard. There's really nothing the defender can do, but because his arm is there and the ball hits it in this VAR age, slow it right down, it's always going to be a penalty. So I think from a keeping it in the realms of what football is all about, Mets can probably be agreed from there, but to be honest, I think we're reaching the point now with VAR and these handball decisions of, you know, you have your arm outside the sort of profile of your body, your own peril in the penalty area now. So there's a little bit of gripe there that dragged on quite a while. Um, and then we had penalty taken by Maxwell Cornet saved. That was that we thought, no referee then decided, no, it's going to be retaken for encroachment. Actually, when, when when you then look at it back, it is a correct call. The goalkeeper's off his line and one of the Mets he's players... He's two metres off his line. <laughs> the, the Met, the, one of the Mets players is pretty much at the penalty spot at the time Maxwell Cornet makes contact with the ball. So I think that that, that was, a, you know, there's no doubt really that, that was the correct decision. It was pretty blatant. Um, penalty was retaken. Um, uh, Dembele um, decided he was going to take it instead. Uh, and scored it. Um, so yeah, there was there was I think there were plenty of issues there for for Mets to certainly feel at least a little bit aggrieved, although some of it was their own doing. Um, and then there was another VAR review oh, later in the game um, with with um, Diallo, who was uh, was shown a red card. That's a big miss. Obviously, Diallo is a big source of goals for Mets. Um, for him to be missing, you know, presumably three games now. Um, at a, you know, as we start to head towards crucial points of the season, that that's a potentially big, big blow for Mets. So, not a particularly good evening for for Mets or Mets fans. So you, hmm. I, I mean, I thought that handball, I was okay with that being a penalty, you know, to be honest. And the the um, goalkeeper, I, yeah. I, with the, with with those ones, I'm I'm still in two minds as to this it didn't feel as though on those ones there's not much a player can do we've had we've obviously had the debates countless times over countless mm-hmm. decisions since VAR came in you know a defender jumping for the ball cannot jump 
with his hands by his side. It's phys- it's almost physically impossible to jump for a header from a from a cross with your hands either behind your back or firmly firmly strapped to your side. So it, I think those ones I'm always a little bit, you know, there's there's blatant handballs which are handballs, and there's ones where, you know, it's it's ball to hand. There's there's nothing a defender can do. It's his natural shape. For me, it just it just felt felt more into that, that category of, you know, two seasons ago that wouldn't have been given, and I don't think many mm. would have had too many gripes about it. But of course, we're in this age of VAR where everything is slowed down, looked under a microscope, and these you know, angles left, right, and centre. The minute a ball makes contact with the hand, almost regardless of the distance between the ball and, and the hand. Um, regardless almost of where the hand is and what the movement leading to the hand being there, none of that really is taken into account anymore. It's simply just ball hits hand, it's handball. So uh, by by modern day rules, yes, it's a penalty and, and Mets can't gripe, but I'm still of that old fashioned brigade mm-hmm. of, there's, there should be an element of leniency on those kind of those kind of handball decisions, especially when it matters so much. I mean, I, I guess it just, especially on the slow-mo, it just looks really bad because of, I mean, the way it clearly hits his hand and, and changes directions. But I thought the most egregious part really was how long it took um, mm-hmm. because this was in the supposedly one and only, first and only minute of extra time for the first half. But uh, by the time Moussa Dembele scored his penalty, it was the eighth minute of added time um, with, you know, only two VAR reviews taking those seven minutes. So it was you know, a very slow uh, decision-making process, uh, which is what annoyed most people, I would say. Um, now, guys, Lyon, uh, well, Philippe, here's here's an interesting approach. Lyon decided to try a new formation ahead of the important match. Um, they also went with a 3-4-3 like PSG last week, although, you know, it's that's just a coincidence. Um mm. With uh, so on Friday they had Denayer, Marcelo, and Marsal as the three at the back, Cornet and Dubois, who's back from injury now, as the kind of wing backs, and uh, Guimaraes making his debut alongside Tuzar in midfield. Um, it seems to be they're going with the same formation against Juventus on Wednesday. Do you expect the same players? And uh, you know, what are the advantages for playing against Juventus with that? Isn't it a bit different though? Because what we did, uh, the different variances of a sweep or Swiss is you either have two two wingers and one centre forward, or you have one guy in the bo- in the hole, a la uh, Zidane or a number ten, mm. and with the two strikers. Uh, wasn't Terrier playing uh, in the hole with uh, Tokoe Cambi and Dembele up front? Um, it was like I think it was that kind that type of formation. Compared to ours, but anyway, I mean, the the, the general point is that um, uh, Rudy Garcia at least tried a different approach before in the league before uh, his big uh, big Champions League game. I don't I don't think it's a particularly bad idea, uh, given that uh, Juventus have been playing three at the back for ages. Uh, well, actually, maybe maybe they they haven't recently actually. Uh, but uh, uh, I just remember the days of Bonucci, Balzadi and Chiellini forming that back on Buffon and that uh, 
I'm, I'm, I feel like they've been playing <laughs> with, with those four players for 10 years now, since 2010, since they went from uh, the, uh, the the relegation in in Serie B. So I I don't think I I actually like this formation. I mean, we're going to talk about uh, probably about. Uh, occasion to Mastro later, but I think it's a good formation. I think a lot of European, um, uh, strong European sides are uh, using it uh, in the Premiership, in the Bundesliga, in La Liga, in Serie A. And uh, I think it's a nice approach. I think it's a bit late, but at least uh, the players have uh, played that approach for 90 minutes in a competitive manner in a game uh, at Mets, which is uh, it's not a cup game, it's a league game, and uh, it's a game they have trouble winning. Uh, it's uh, yeah. Yes, there was loads of VARs. Yes, there was controversial decisions, but at least they tried it before the game. And then the fans could have uh, no complaints about, you know, trying something new. Uh, well, I'm pretty sure the Lyon fans are going to be criticizing Garcia. Every <laughs> well, they Unless were doing that yesterday, actually. So, yeah. But yeah, no, I think, I think it's uh, it's it's okay. I think it's okay. At least at least Garcia tried it against a decent side mm-hmm. before the game. So, uh, Elio, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, well, let's, let's start with what would be a positive note from our French perspective. What kind of teams have Juventus struggled against this season? And let's see if we can maybe recognize any, anything that Lyon might have in, in that. I think they, they struggle against energetic teams, um, teams that are they're willing to press them, teams that are quick on the counter, got players that can carry the ball. Um, run quickly without the ball. Uh, it, it's, it's a weakness that Juve have had for a little while, and, and they still have it. And it it's something that's caused them caused them problems this season. And particularly, if teams play in wide areas and they isolate players. Juve can have problems against those kind of teams and those kind of players. That they will play four at the back. It'll be interesting to see whether Sarri goes with three in midfield or four but I think it will be three and, and and three up front as well or, or however he plays there four three three how has Juventus been playing in the last few weeks what kind of form do they have coming into the match not not great to be honest there's as I mentioned at the start there, there's a lot of questions hanging over this this Juve people are not very pleased with their performances um they They've been good with the ball. They have they're they're good in possession, capable of of maintaining the ball for for long periods. But they they have a vulnerability as well. Uh, even even at the weekend against bottom of the table Spau, and they they had good control of the game, but managed to concede a, a soft penalty, and and then all of a sudden they're it's two one and it's close. But they've controlled the majority of the game, and they haven't created a lot of chances. So there's there's chances there to to get at this Juventus team, um, but you know they also have a red hot Ronaldo at the minute, which has has really helped since the start of the year. Because mm. if not, I I don't know where they would be at this point without him. Yeah, that's interesting. And also, um, so Chiellini started on Sunday. I understand he's not played that much this season, actually. No, I think. If I'm thinking rightly, that was probably his first game. He uh, had a ACL injury in at the end of August. Ah, that's right. I okay. think that was just before the first game or just after the first game. Um, and obviously, he, he's just come back six months later. So he came on as a sub uh, last week and he started the game at the weekend. But 
the expectation is he won't play on on Wednesday night. Interesting, yeah. Um, now there was some news uh, last week, some declarations uh, both on the Lyon side and I think in Italy as well about well, it seems to have been especially Jean-Michel Aulas, the the OL uh, president, uh, who he seems to be trying to sell. Uh, Hussam Awar to Juventus and hoping to get Blaise Matuidi back in return. Um, this is open to all of you guys, by the way. You know, does that move seem credible? Uh, what positives would be in it for 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 either side? I think Olas is is clearly got his next big money sell, uh, big money sale. Um, he's certainly eyeing that up. We've had a couple of seasons now of of Lyon, um, you know, making these big money sales to clubs around Europe. And he's clearly got an eye on, well, what's my next big saleable asset that I can get as much money as possible for? And your chances are certainly near the top of that list is who somehow are. Mm. Um, so it's, I think it's, I don't think there's any credibility to it being a move that could go ahead. I think this is more simply a case of, This is Olas being Olas, managing the media, how he wants to manage them, get the message across, how he wants to get a message across that, you know, he's he's the man. He's the man that's going to control any kind of deals going on. He's chief broker, chief, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I'm not sure what it necessarily says about um, the, the role that Janino will play. Um, it seems to be another example of Olas putting his sort of big size tens or whatever size that he wears into it without really thinking too much about the impact of it. But I, I think this is purely just a ploy from Olas to to start to get a player from Lyon on the the sort of minds of big teams around Europe for, from his perspective certainly to to get some interest going and and basically get the get the bids starting to roll. But, I mean, I think that was the suggestion. That's, 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 I was going to say, that's, 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 that's bold, yeah. That's just, just, I mean, just no. I mean, can they can they afford him? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think so. I mean, but, we, I mean, they need Champions League money every season to afford a guy like that. And, uh, and I'm sorry, but it's probably not going to happen, even though they beat oh, Mets, boy. you know. It's, it's just... It's uh, still six points. Uh, I don't know. It just seems very uh, uh, ambitious, shall we say? Even though Matuidi is on, the, you know, his, his best uh, best years are behind him. We'll probably talk about this. Uh, but I uh, just just can't see. I mean, I can see how well at Juventus. I can see how well in England. I can see how well in, in a big club. You know, very very nice player. But uh, first of all, I think it's a bit early for him to to, to sell a guy like that. Even though we all do need mm-hmm. the money. But uh, Matuidi at Lyon, I just uh, just don't think, uh, yeah, just don't think that would uh, that would happen somehow. somehow. I mean, I I would Is, love I mean, it. it. I, no, I, no, I, I miss this. I, <laughs> I would love to have him back in Liga, of course. I mean, just like just like the next man. But first of all, uh, uh, to, um, uh, to 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 uh, to a, uh, an actual Euro expert, how has Matuidi done, and would he be sold? We will be talking about that in just a minute, actually, with Elio. Um, so, I mean, I guess, Elio, there's already a lot of talent 
um, in that Juve midfield, a lot of you know players there already. So any newcomer would maybe have some difficulty finding a spot, right? Yeah, I think so. Just because of, like you said, the number of players that they, they've got in that role at the minute. Um, mm. I'm not sure the the quality of those players is what it needs to be. And perhaps uh, a younger, fresher feel about it would, would certainly help. As someone who's a little bit more modern in terms of the way they play in midfield, I think Juve's, Juve's makeup in midfield has, has got a lot of the same players. Um, I mean, Matuidi was speaking this week actually about extending his his contract at Juve he's got an an option for a year um so it seems like he's quite happy to stay where he is but I kind of feel like Juve have been here before with uh Leon and their their next star midfield player to be sold and it never seems to quite materialize (laughs) yeah it's it's two hard negotiators that's why (laughs) they can't make it happen Okay then, guys. Let's let's kind of move towards the prediction phase here. Um, do we give Lyon any chance? And maybe, you know, giving them the benefit of the doubt. Let's say, are, will they still be in it after the first leg? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I struggle. I mean, the thought of Ronaldo coming up against the likes of Marcelo, sort of. Especially if they do play that three at the back, I don't know. I, the thought of, of the likes of the, the kind of players that Juventus could put out, I don't know, it does leave me with a bit of a cold sweat. So I don't I don't give them much of a chance in terms of winning. I do give them a better chance of at least still being in the fixture after this match. I mean, it obviously would then need them to to go to Turin and get something, but I don't think it's going to be a complete, you know, fi- fixture over after that first leg. I don't. Something tells me it's not going to be quite that horrific for Leon. Interesting. Elio, your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I just, I can't see, uh, Juve haven't really escaped any teams recently and I can't see that that changing so in soon. They're just, they're not putting teams away, if you like, if you want to put it that way, that they might have a lot of the ball, but I, I don't see them going to Lyon and scoring three or four goals. Um, so I, I expect the game to still be on for the second leg, at the way Juve are playing at the minute. But would you it, put, could, it could surprise me. Would you put down that down to Sari or the general aging of the squad? Because I've been reading a bit and uh, apparently it just hasn't clicked under Sari. It just hasn't been the way it has been under Allegri, for instance. Yeah, I think I think it's a mixture of a few things. Uh, I think people kind of saw Juve appointed Sari in and expected in a few months time that they'd already be playing this lovely possession fluid football and they're just they're just they weren't ready for it and they're they're not ready for it um they are better with the ball they they are having more of the ball like I said but they just haven't quite got the players to to change it in a way that makes it like his Napoli team was for example and as you said that the team is is aging a little bit and they, they came from 
a coach like Allegri, who is very good at using the tools that he's got and maximising them, no matter what they are. Whereas Sarri has a particular way of playing, and at the minute it's it's clashing a little bit, and it, it's kind of to be expected, I think. Uh, and I think if we thought about if we thought it was going to be any different, it may have been a little bit naive from a, a Juve fan perspective that we could just change so quickly. Because it, yes, yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah. Hmm. It it does it does seem like it's not as fluid and uh, not as uh, shall we say as uh, um, it's not it's not the machine it used to be in past season. I I don't I haven't watched loads uh, Juve games. I watched the one at Napoli and uh, it does seem like uh, they score then basically doze off for uh, the rest of the game and uh, just uh, just expect uh, the opposition not to be of any trouble and. So, Sometimes they are, especially when they're managed by Gattuso. So, you know, his fingers crossed this happens on the, on Wednesday. Yeah, it does feel there's there's in those kind of circumstances, perhaps there's the motivation issue for for the team, for some of the players. But mm. with Allegri, when Juve scored, you kind of felt they'll probably win the game now. Um, but even if they score, yeah. you kind of feel now that they don't know whether they want to sit deep or they don't know whether they want to carry on pressing and and trying to score the next one. And sometimes it seems that they're a little bit in between and it, it leads them to do neither and teams have opportunities in, in that in that case. Mm-hmm. I would predict personally that, well, if we remember the match last year against Barcelona, it was nil-nil at home in, in, the, in the first leg, which was a great result for Lyon, although obviously they were kind of thrashed in, in the return. Um I think they can kind of do that again. I mean, obviously, as we always say, they're so unpredictable, but I think they could get a good result in this first leg. And my prediction is that they will be in a better position than PSG going into the second leg. Uh, But I would still give PSG a better chance of qualifying overall than I I would give Lyon uh, throughout the ties. now, guys, before the show, we were talking a little bit about coronavirus and the impact uh, it has had in Italy in the last few days with games being played against closed doors. Uh, they've just announced that Juventus Inter Milan, which is next Sunday, will be played behind closed doors as well. Uh, so, I mean, as, as of n- we're recording on Monday night. As of now, there's no news concerning the Lyon-Juventus match, concerning fans or teams moving or anything. Uh, but So we don't have anything to say about that, I guess. But, you know, hopefully uh, not too much changes between now and then. And, uh, uh, I mean, who knows where this is going to go, I guess. Um, all right. And now, finally, before we let you go, Elio, uh, we do a little segment here. We started a few weeks ago. Every week we talk about one French player and, you know, how he's performing at the moment, what it's, what his chances are of, of being there at the Euro. Uh, we've been, uh, we've brought good luck to some of these guys in the past few weeks. Uh, Giroud, Martial both scored over the weekend again. Um, ben Yedder is also in good scoring form, but that's why we were talking about him in the, in the first place. Uh, this week, since we have you on, let's talk about Blaise Matuidi. Um so he started this weekend, but I understand the previous three matches, I think he had not started. Is he getting a uh, good playing time? Yeah, he is, he is getting good playing time. I, okay. I, I would expect him to, to play on Wednesday. I'd be surprised if he didn't. Awesome. And, and, and he's still 
is he still performing at the level that that you know we knew him to have when he was in France? I think with with Matuidi, what what you see is what you get, and I, he he is consistent in in what he offers, and mm-hmm. um, you know he he does get quite a bit of criticism from Juve fans, and I'm a bit reluctant to criticise a player of, of of his type because. You, you can't fault what he does when he when he plays for you and when he's in the team. Uh, perhaps he's not quite at the same levels as he was a couple of years ago, uh, but it, you know he's still relentless in the way he works for the team and and he, he does the stuff that you know some people don't like to do. And when you've got a certain Cristiano Ronaldo on the left side of the pitch, sometimes you need a, a Matuidi to help balance balance it out. So. Yeah, I, I like what he does. He, he does get criticism, as I said, but I think it's a bit unfair at times. That was very much his role at the World Cup, of course, kind of bringing equilibrium to a team where, you know, Kylian Mbappe was not defending much um, and Ousmane Dembele when he was playing similarly. Um, uh, Phil Rich, uh, do we, I mean, he seems to be a safe bet for the Euro, especially considering the kind of injuries other midfielders have had in the squad. Yeah, he's he's the tried and tested one, isn't he? I mean, Deschamps knows mm-hmm. exactly what he's going to get from him. He's been a dependable player for for Deschamps, certainly, especially sorry, as he's moved from that sort of automatic starting role that he had a couple of you know two or three seasons ago, maybe, to the more slightly more bit part role that he plays in that French team now. He's not necessarily a a guaranteed starter, um, but you know he played his part in the World Cup win. Um, you know, Deschamps knows what he is going to get from him. And that's, as we know, um, to great effect, we know that Deschamps values that almost above anything else, which is why, you know, we're seeing the likes of Giroud, obviously, up until the weekend, obviously struggling with game time, but potentially still in with a shot of of, of making the tournament as well. So I, I do suspect that, that almost regardless of the playing time that, that Matuini does or doesn't have, he would still find his 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 way into that squad purely on the basis of, you know, Deschamps values dependability. I think over quite a lot of other attributes, and and certainly that's one thing that Matui brings. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to to seeing him again in the in the French shirt. I guess we don't, and even seeing him play on Wednesday. I mean, I don't watch a lot of of, of Italian football, so it'll be great to to watch him again, and hopefully. If only we could have him back in Ligue 1, I, I would be delighted. Now, Elio, one last question while we have you on uh, about a man who has no chances of playing at the Euro. Um, has Adrien Rabiot been been staying out of trouble at Juventus? What's what's mm-hmm. you know what's he up to? Uh, he he's been staying out of trouble, but he's he's quite frustrating. How um, so? <laughs> really? You, yeah. You you watch him and you think. Uh, this guy, he should have everything to be a top midfield player. He's got so many qualities to admire. His passing, he, he's physical, he, he's good in both halves, uh, he's good with the ball. But you just feel like he needs a bit of motivation. You kind of feel like you want to go up to him and shake him and say, why why aren't you doing more? Why aren't you trying harder? And it just it, that that's the... The thing I get from him at the minute, you just go, come on then, show me a little bit more. 
and he he just kind of doesn't and you just you feel left like he he leaves you unsatisfied with what he's done oh well uh, i have a, so, one last question uh if, sure. if, I, if I may. uh allegri to PSG, strong strong rumors uh what would you make of that I think he's destined for the Premier League. To be honest, I'm, I'm not sure. Right. I'm not sure PSG would. I don't think they. I don't think he would suit them either. Not with not with the players that that, that they've got. Um, I think they probably need someone who would be a little bit more free with how they with how they play with the attackers that they've got. I'm not. I'm not sure that would that would suit Allegri. Mm. So I'd be surprised if he if he ended up there. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. Well, listen, Elio, thank you so much for joining us. Um, good luck to Juventus. Fun. Hopefully, you know, not good luck on Wednesday, let's say, for our sake, but <laughs> in, in your other adventures. And uh, that's Elio Salerno, at Elio Salerno 87 on Twitter, if you want to give him a follow. Thank you. So there was a lot of interesting things uh, this week. Uh, lots of things we could have talked about, but... Uh, PSG, who we talked about so much last week, decided to steal the show again uh, with their match on Sunday evening against Bordeaux, a 4-3 win. Philippe, let's start with the best news out of here. Edinson Cavani scoring his 200th goal at the Parc des Princes. You were there. Tell us about it. Uh, uh, yeah, it was uh, quite a uh, relief. The, uh, the game didn't start very well. Uh, Tego Silva limped off injured, so he's out for Dortmund, which is not... Yeah, that was just announced. He's out for three weeks, missing Dortmund, so yeah, yeah tough start. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, we'll see, but uh, maybe we'll, you know, miraculously do something without him. And uh, I think I think it's the first time we'll, we're going to play a major Champions League uh, uh, tie without him. So uh, we, we usually do well without our star players like Elal Trafford, so... I don't know. I just don't see. I, I just I can't can't bring well, myself to be. There was so a time he was up. dropped against Madrid too, by by yeah. Emery. But I guess that's a different matter. Yeah, but well, I don't. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, uh, was that the first or the second leg? I think that was the first. Yeah, it was the first because in the second leg, I remember him sitting deep and just not doing anything, just not mm-hmm. not making anything happen. Which you can do when you're a centre back. But anyway, Cavani scored from a Di Maria cross. Uh, we were not playing very well, and uh, it was basically uh, two two players uh, connecting. From a, it, it wasn't a dead ball situation, but it was almost like a dead ball situation. And, mm. and from that they were absolutely terrible. And they scores, and then the speaker, uh, Montana, his name is. Uh, he uh, he he basically he says he says Edinson and and the crowd says Cavani and see. He said he said that um, nine times just to uh, to uh, you know to mark uh, to, uh, to to make to make it very very special. Yeah. And uh, you know it was it was it was uh, it was nice. But uh, uh, what was what was quite um, ironic was that uh, people uh, everyone around uh, I mean everyone in the ground was. Uh, you know, uh, knew that we weren't playing very well. I mean, really, really not very well. We switched back. Actually, we actually switched back to four four two after uh, to some great tactical change from Thomas Tuchel in Dortmund, who played three four three. 
and uh, really the, the football we did wasn't uh, wasn't that good. I mean, we we only scored from dead ball situations, and you have Sergio Wico who uh, constantly uh, clears uh, clears uh, clears a ball straight to Pablo and goes in two two at half time. To be fair to Sergio Rico, he got a lot of flat in the press, but uh, he did a couple of uh, decent saves in the, yeah, in the second true. half. It, it, and so, you know, he, yes, he made some mistakes, and yes, he was uh, very sloppy at uh, the beginning of the, of the second half, but then he, he pulls out two really good saves, and uh, a lot of people have uh, forgot forgot about that, and uh, we could have conceded more than, uh, than three goals. Um, Neymar and Mbappe's attitude was absolutely awful, uh, especially Neymar. Uh, Neymar came out in the press after the Dortmund game saying uh, it's Pedro's fault I didn't play uh, before the Dortmund game. Uh, I think we we all saw why he didn't play before the Dortmund game. It's because he wasn't match fit. Uh, he wasn't uh, he wasn't particularly. I didn't find him not match fit at Dortmund, but I definitely found him uh, unfit uh, last night because there's a way there's a way he was dribbling. He really he, he wasn't as sharp as usual, and uh, the, the defenders were. Basically nagging him, and he got at him, and that's why he got the red card. Even though you know, um, he 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 should be a bit more protected by by the referees uh, when he when he's, he's basically pushed over uh, by uh, by defenders. But you know, that's him. That's his status. That's uh, that's what he. That's the uh, the game he plays. That's how uh, mm-hmm. how what's the word? How uh, how he uh, gets on people's nerves. I mean. It's uh, it's part and parcel of his of his game, I would think, and it uh, annoys annoys the defenders. So anyway, a lot of um, reasons to be anxious ahead of the ahead of that second leg. So you got Thiago Silva who's injured. We can't defend from uh, set um, from a set piece. So that's very bad. Um, the uh, the defending is uh, is quite quite poor. Uh, Tilo Kera, I thought had an absolutely awful game. Absolutely. Really, really bad game. Uh, given uh, given that he's our second choice, and he was playing at right back. Is that correct? Was, I think he was playing right back. Yeah, in the four four two. I mean, he was really, really awful. I thought. I mean, uh, again, a lot of a lot of things were said about Sergio Rico's mistake, and you're going to 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 as um, goalkeeping mistakes are going to be more blatant than the, than uh, um, a player from uh, from the from. You know uh, who is not a goalkeeper, but, but uh, yeah, I was uh, really not impressed with uh, with Tilo Tilo Kera. Uh, I actually saw M- uh, Kim Pembe for once was not too was not too bad. Uh, Mbappe Neymar's attitude was uh, was rubbish, uh, but Cavani silver lining he is now our top uh, top scorer in PSG history. <laughs> it was nice to be there. It will be nice to uh, to uh, say goodbye to him against Ken uh, May 16th, last game of the season. Mm. Home game of the season. I don't, I don't know if it's our last game, but it's our last home game, and, 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 and tickets are already on sale for that event game. Oh, wow. You know, so, going quite high. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, so let me just pick up a couple points there. Uh, the Neymar red card regarding that, so we don't know the exact length of his suspension yet. He's at least yeah. going to miss one match, but it could be two. Um I don't think it'll be. There's three matches between now and Dortmund. It seems unlikely that he would be suspended for three. But you know, the way it works in France is that there's this commission de discipline on Thursdays, which is uh, like a disciplinary kind of 
uh, cord, I guess. Yeah, display and hearing, and that's when the suspension length is determined. So uh, that'll be confirmed on Thursday. Um, Thiago Silva out for three weeks. We said that if Dortmund win and people say, oh, it's because Thiago Silva wasn't there, I will not have that. Uh, people can't have it both ways. Um, I don't want to hear any of that in three weeks. Just putting that out there ahead of time. Um, Rich, do you think that Tuchel started Cavani for PR reasons? Or is Cavani ahead of Vicardi in the pecking order now? Um, I suspect it was PR, to be perfectly honest. I, I don't I, I don't, don't think I quite see him um, having moved ahead of Vicardi in that, in that sort of pecking order. Um, I think it was PR, you know, the fan, it's, it's a, it's PR because ultimately he's a big, 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 big fan favourite. It's an easy way to get some good feeling um, around, around the club is to, you know, get Cavani to that 200th goal. He's played bit parts in some games recently and it's not, it's, it hasn't fallen for him. It did last night. He got the goal. Everybody loved it. There was the big celebration after the game on the pitch, very moving um, an emotional Cavani giving a, a speech afterwards. So it's all that good feeling. So I'm under no illusion that it was primarily a PR reason um, that, that, that Cavani played. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, going, going back to something that we've, we've touched upon, I mean, the, the Neymar sure. red card, I'm, I'm, I'm completely baffled. Um, it, it's, it clearly is a red card. I mean, I get the whole point of, yes, he was being pushed and shoved just prior to that, which clearly riled him up. The way that you react to that shows you how he's developed. And the <laughs> fact is, he's still reacting that way. You know, don't don't give the referee reason to call something against you. If you're the victim of that kind of thing, you need to be big enough and mature enough to accept that, accept that's that's the call the referee has made. You perhaps have a word with the referee and say, look, did you not see the foul? Did you not see this, that, or the other? You don't go and just take a chunk out of. I think it was Yassine Adley, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and get yourself a red card, especially after you've made a big song and song and dance about the fact that you're not going to be you, you're not you're not going to be at the carnival, and all of a sudden now he's got a red card, and we've now got all these you know, conspiracy theories of what well, did he mean to get the red card? <laughs> oh, he's now going to be at the carnival and all this, that and the other. And it's just, it's, it's, it's just something else. It, it's something else that adds to the, the sort of bad side of Neymar that people don't want to see, but are sadly, you know, that that's the, that's the part that he's being judged more and more on. We need to see more of, and we've seen it a lot of times this season, the really good football that we know he can produce. Give us more of that. Don't give us this slightly nasty, bratty side of I'm better than everyone else. And, you know, I'm going to take the law into my own hands because it, mm-hmm. he doesn't need to do it. I mean, I would say- the carnival, people have been saying this all day that, uh, you know, now that he's suspended, he's going to go to the carnival. Like, he no, but care. I mean... I don't think that's going to happen because just like PSG have had so many disasters. I would have had so many PR disasters in the last few weeks that if that were to happen, it would just you know. I would not. I would not. I would not bet against it. Me neither. Me neither. Oh boy. 
Ay, ay, ay. Um, yeah, so... Uh, well, and, uh, if I may uh, say one thing, uh, it has been uh, um, tweeted to me or message uh, from uh, sources and friends that uh, M- Mbappe is actually taking a turn from the worst when Neymar is, uh, has that kind of attitude, which I think may or may not have a point, but I do I do believe that uh, Mbappe's attitude being uh, being rubbish uh, has may have something to do with uh, Neymar's attitude not being very good these days. But so, what did, so what did Mbappe do exactly? No, it's it's not it's not he didn't do anything. He actually scored. But yeah. uh, his attitude, his attitude was was just you was think? just uh, was just terrible and not not having a not having a good game and I don't know it just it just feels like when when Neymar is having a, is having a moment Mbappe is not having a great night either. Maybe what was, what just... was quite what was what was quite interesting though was there was a photo I think after Neymar had been shown the red card Neymar clearly wanted words with the referee at that point. Mm. And, and and Mbappe held him back, pushing him off, blocking yeah. him off. Maybe Mbappe, Mbappe just... was trying to sort of usher him off or get off the pitch, and 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 if you're being, uh, you know, you tend everybody tends to be that bit more cynical when it comes to PSG. So if I am being that bit more cynical, I would be thinking, actually, you know what? That's that, that's good PR from Mbappe. That's Mbappe, the younger player, the sort of he is the star. But let's say he's the starlet of the team. If we're labelling Neymar as the star, that's the young the young prodigy ushering off this this supposed big name world superstar being you know showing that the younger player is the more mature one in saying to Neymar look you've been shown the red card get off the pitch kind of thing so as I say if I'm being very cynical I'm thinking that's that's a good move from Mbappe for his own personal well, PR in terms of that that battle of the the PR machines at PSG I think maybe if you recall, he said, you know, at some point last year that, you know, after the Manchester game, he had trouble sleeping. And I feel maybe it's a similar thing where, you know, he's just very disappointed after, you know, the match on, on against Dortmund. And that can impact, you know, the way he seems to be behaving. Although I don't I'm I haven't really been getting that same feeling um maybe on like one or two occasions recently, but not consistently that his attitude is, is bad. I can, for me, it's completely understandable that, you know, he would be un, unhappy is a strong word, but, you know, n- not content with what happened. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a kind of a tough period for, for PSG, to be honest. And um uh, but can we say a word about about Bordeaux? However, um, in particular, the third goal was scored by Ruben Pardo, who smashed it into the top corner. Um, did you guys know who Ruben Pardo was before yesterday? Because I didn't. I was in the same boat. <laughs> it turns out he signed for them on the last day of the transfer window in in, in January, um, and that he's. He was at uh, at Real Sociedad for nine years, um, playing 160 matches for them in La Liga. Um, it wasn't his debut. He played 30 minutes against uh, Brest earlier this month. Um, but it was, a, I mean, I guess it was a very nice goal. And uh, n- nice to meet you, Ruben. I didn't know <laughs> you were in, uh, in Liga. <laughs> Um, anything else on, on Bordeaux before we move on? 
they played fairly well, even though they, you know, conceded even more than PSG did. Yeah, I mean, they, to to make the scoreline quite, you know, look a lot closer than perhaps. I mean, I don't, I didn't feel as though Bordeaux had to do much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, there was there was PSG errors and and you know poor marking, poor defending from from uh, balls into the box. It didn't seem as though, you know, it seems as though a better team than Bordeaux probably could have got something from that game. I think Bordeaux were just relatively, um, you know, victims of PSG's own misfortune. Maybe it's just me from where I was sitting, but uh, didn't uh, didn't Ruben Pardo's goal remind you of a certain goal that was scored on Tuesday? I mean, the finish maybe, just, but the, the build-up the is... The finish was the same, yeah. you know. It's top corner was a ball hitting the ground just right after it hits the net. Uh, left left foot shot, I think, both. Mm. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It reminded me It reminded me of Haaland's goal, the second one. It was a great goal. Even yeah. Though it was maybe the football gods are making fun of PSG. Maybe. Um, <laughs> Right then, uh, let's follow on to uh, the second place team in Ligue 1, Marseille, uh, who lost for the first time since October at home to Nantes 3-1. Uh, conveniently, Mo is not on this week. Um, I do. F- I, it's not the first time that he's absent after a Marseille defeat, but I do think he has other reasons than, than that. Um, um, what, what can we say about this? First of all, Nantes have been scoring quite a few goals uh, in the last few matches, which is, um, you know, they don't necessarily have that reputation. But uh, we should we should remember, I think, that Christian Gourcuff um, is committed to playing good football. Uh, back when he was at Lorient, anyways, there was periods of times where he, you know, they played really nice football. When they had, do you, get, do you remember that guy, um, Alain Traoré, I think? Uh, oh yes. There was a period of time where he was scoring these amazing goals week after week with Lorient, and that was probably peak Gourcuff Lorient. But anyways, um, uh, a 3-1 win for Nantes. Uh, Kader Bamba was probably man of the match. I mean, he gave a lovely cross for Anthony Limbombe, who scores the first goal. Uh, after that, Sanson scores a, a, a great goal. Uh, you know, as good as as Ruben Pardo's was uh, from outside the box. It looked like a Payet finish, to be honest. Uh, but if you pay close attention, it was Morgan Sanson scoring that, and it was one-one at halftime. At that point, I kind of thought this feels like every Marseille match ever this season. Um, but uh, in the second half, Nantes came out and and scored twice. Kader Bamba scored again. And uh, it was an own goal from Alvaro Gonzalez on the last one. So he loses his first match with Marseille. Um, and uh, it's a setback for OM. But it was a long time coming, I guess, seeing as they spent so long without without losing. And, um, yeah, the only thing is that some of the players still look tired. Um, and that's maybe a worry. But they do have a good... It's a nine-point cushion, isn't it? Between second and third place. Um, I believe so. Yeah, eight eight points. Eight yeah, points. eight point with yeah. ten. Yeah. Uh, this, I mean, this, this goes back to my the sort of long held fear I've had with Marseille is that throughout all of this good run that they've been on, I don't think I've yet to see a full ninety minutes where they have been fantastic. 
fantastic. Mm-hmm. They've they've got that they had that they had that really good knack of playing pretty poorly, but getting a result. But that's obviously leaves things quite tense because if you're playing badly, you're relying upon that that one moment of magic for that for that 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 winning goal or or to salvage a point or whatever to get you that result. But of course you're reliant on that, and if that moment of magic doesn't come, you're then just a team that's playing badly. And ultimately, as we, we, mm-hmm. we saw Saturday afternoon, Marseille, they weren't playing. They were not playing good football. I, I genuinely feel I don't think they have played particularly well, but have just that knack of getting something. Primarily, the source of that has been Dimitri Payet, and he's been that source of moment of magic through, through you know, a piece of skill to create some space or create a gap, find a pass or or scoring the goal, spectacular goal, whatever. The plan A is clearly it needs something from Payet. And of course, if that doesn't happen, the thing that I've had concerns about with Marseille for a long time now is there doesn't seem to be a plan B. And and that's what we saw. We saw plan A, Payet not really producing that 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 magic moment that's needed, no plan B. And they mm-hmm. were then, you know, they were unlike in other games, they've been punished by Nantes. Nantes have punished them very well, not helped by some Defensive lapses at Mondonda certainly didn't have a great game. I think that's true. Yeah, Gonzalez can feel quite unlucky. Gonzalez can feel quite unlucky for the own goal because it comes from a pretty simple spill uh, from Mondonda in the first place. So it, that's that's the thing. If you're you're from Marseille's perspective, it's been nice to go on that long, you know, that that sort of undefeated run, and it's been nice to see. I mean, they've, they've been probably been very fortunate that teams below them have not been to the level to at least play poorly and get results. They've played poorly and not been able to get the the sort of string of results to put together a run to really challenge Marseille. So that's why Marseille have this gap and that does allow them some comfort. But if I'm a Marseille fan, I'm thinking we've not played well for a while and now we've been punished for that. We need to see a reaction. Now I think they play, they play Neem, I think, on Friday. Big game. It's been very interesting to see. Yeah. Obviously, they obviously Neem Neem until until Sunday had been on a good run themselves. That becomes quite an important game for Marseille because they need to show a reaction, and I also think there needs to be a performance to go with a result as well, just to allay those concerns that actually the rock could set in, and all of a sudden that eight point gap that they've got over over the chasing pack that could very quickly evaporate if they continue to play well and lose that knack to grind out results that eight point gap will disappear very quickly i'm sure of it so, so mm-hmm. if i'm Mar- if i'm a marseille fan or if i'm vias boas i'm thinking i need to be seeing a reaction from the players now and that needs to be in the form of the win but also a a, a much much higher quality performance yeah absolutely um, I've, I think we had that discussion a few months ago with Mo, and I feel like you were there, maybe Rich, how they were at the time overperforming regarding um, compared to the year their um, expected goals, and it's that has continued on. And when they had a little spell where they were drawing match after match in January, I think it really felt like that had caught up with them at the time, and it was kind of shown on, on Saturday as well that they don't create that many chances. Um, but yeah, anyways, let's move on then to uh, Saint-Étienne-Reims. That was on Sunday uh, afternoon, and there was some news ahead of the match, 
with the announcement that Stéphane Ruffier, who has been Saint-Étienne goalkeeper for longer than most of us can remember, it feels like, um, was dropped and not even in the squad. Jesse Moulin started instead of him. Uh, what was the deal there, Rich, exactly? Um, well, I mean, Saint-Étienne have been on a horrible run lately. And I think something needed to give. And the um, Claude Puel took the decision. Well, you know what? I, I personally, I, I don't have much of a particular issue. Yes, obviously, Ruffier has this sort of aura of a, of a sort of legendary status at Saint-Étienne. But he is capable of some pretty high profile mistakes. Um, and if you're playing as, as badly as Saint-Étienne have been recently, you can't afford to do that. So I don't have too much of an issue with with Ruffier being mm -hmm. dropped. Um, Ruffier and his agent certainly did have an issue. And I think it was his agent that came out saying, you know, how dare Claude Puel drop this legend of the club. And it didn't go down too well. And certainly there would have been question marks from many Saint-Étienne fans. But up until about the 93rd minute, I think those question marks would have gone because Moulin didn't really do anything wrong. Saint-Étienne were winning 1-0 and then they blow it. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, the, you can't really blame yeah. Moulin though. It was a penalty. Well, no, no, no. I'm not, yeah. Absolutely not. No, no, okay. no. It was, it was a penalty. Yann and Villa, it's, it's, a, it's probably a penalty. It's a silly challenge. There's not much contact. He just leaves a little trailing leg on Bouladia who was who was running into the into the penalty area. It, you know, you'll get Rams fans saying it's a penalty. You'll get Saint-Étienne fans saying it's not a penalty. Um, it, it's harsh on one hand. It's not harsh on the other. It's it's a difficult one to call. But ultimately, you know, after playing reasonably well, they weren't spectacular, but reasonably well and pretty much on the verge of getting a huge three points because, man, did they need those three points. Yeah. They blow it in the 90, 94th, 95th minute or something like that. Pretty much the last kick of the game. And, and Bouladia converts the penalty and, and it's 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 two points lost for Saint-Étienne and leaves them still in in big, big problems. I think they're only two points off that um, relegation playoff spot. So things really not looking good. Um, unfortunately for Puel, the decision to, to drop Ruffier, Moulin did nothing wrong. But if you're going to drop a player, you need to at least make sure that the the next fixture is well we get the three points unfortunately they didn't uh, um you know i'm sure there will be many that will put this on or you shouldn't have dropped Rufier, even though mulan did nothing wrong can't be held accountable for the goal um I mean, things yeah. just are not things are just not going to to, to saint-etienne's way at the moment mulan has been good this season when he's played i thought um because Rufier missed a few games here and there um but yeah it, it did i thought a 1-1 was fair because it felt it would have been unfair for either team to lose that match. I thought Reims were kind of the better team for a long time um, and unlucky to concede that goal from Buanga. And what a season Buanga is having, by the way. But um, yeah, 1-1. It was, it, was it was a fun match to watch. Uh, and yeah, fair enough result, although they'll both be disappointed. Uh, Philippe, let me bring you in here to our summaries as well. You saw, uh, you saw Nice-Brest on, on Friday. What what happened? What interesting stuff happened there? Uh, so Nice uh, under, under 
Pangera, uh, quite uh, quite an adventurous uh, 4-4-2 against uh, against Pest, which also played the same formation. Uh, the goals the goals they scored they were quite um, they were quite fortunate I thought. Uh, Brest weren't defending uh, that uh, seriously, but uh, still it was it was uh, it didn't have to work for their goals. That's uh, that's a general uh, uh, idea. That's what I, that's what I thought. And uh, also uh, in that four four two formation, you had um, Adam Unas on the right and uh, Ignatius Genego on the left, and they did up to zero marking on uh, Brest's fullback, and it proved uh, Brest uh, came back. Uh, came back into the game. Uh, first of all, Samuel Grancier on the stroke of half time, and then Dante scored scoring own goal. To, to be fair, I mean, uh, if if Press were more, shall we say, ambitious in the league, or they wanted to get more points, I mean, when you look at where they are now, they are a solid seven points clear of Nîmes, Nîmes who are in the playoff spots, which is still a healthy uh, healthy uh, cushion with uh, with 12 games to go. I mean, they they could have taken that. They honestly could have taken that, but uh, it's it was really between two two mid-table sides who will probably stay in, in mid-table. I just can't see teams with that much quality um, being um, worried with the relegation. But on the on the other hand, uh, you just can't see that that type of side going uh, going for Europe either. And uh, you know, mm-hmm. you should uh, because the squad isn't isn't big enough and uh, the. Uh, the intensity they use is just not uh, not strong enough. I mean, there's no there's no way either side can play two uh, two games a week. Uh, this this squad is far too threadbare. So yeah, a bit disappointed by uh, by Vieira and um, and the way Nice um, Nice played their game. It wasn't really all all that. I mean, to to me, they didn't really deserve. I mean, in in Liga, it's very hard to score goals. Obviously, it's a very defensive league, and uh, they didn't. Really deserve to score to score two goals, and to me, to me, Brest would have uh, just wanted the point. They just wanted, just wanted not to lose, and they knew they, they knew they, they, they could have won, but decided not to. Uh, one side that could play uh, Europe next season is Rennes. Rich, uh, why is it a bad idea to stop watching Rennes before the match is completely <laughs> over? It's uh, it's Julian Stefan time. <laughs> um, yeah, he's got a knack, he's got a knack of getting Ren to to snatch something late in the day. Anyway, um, I put it on thinking, you know, Neem coming in, I think it was four consecutive wins. So I thought it would be, you know, an uncomfortable afternoon for Ren. You know, they themselves haven't been in good form. So I was expecting it to be a, a tough game. Um, put it on. Within, I think it was about 35 seconds, Nolan Rue to put scores to put Nîmes ahead, and I, I very nearly switched it off at that point. I will admit, I very nearly switched it off there, and I just <laughs> thought, yeah, now this is going to go. Um, they, they, Ren managed to equalise, and Banyong um, got a goal only about five or so minutes later. Um, it wasn't really until um, about 10 minutes or so into the second half when we sort of saw something uh, we don't normally see on the football pitch. Let's put it that way. Um, <laughs> Anthony Bianson decides, I tweeted at the time, it can only be described as a clothesline yeah. um, on, on Eduardo Camavinga, who, who plays the ball. And and it's it's sort of a cross between a clothesline and a shoulder ch- charge from Bianson. I mean, I, I thought it had done Camavinga a big injury. 
you know, Kamavinga is 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 not you know a big big sort of hulking, immense physical stature esque kind of a player. He's he's still a 17 year old kid still developing, <laughs> and he got he got knocked for six. It was an absolutely crunching, whatever we want to call it, clothesline shoulder barge, instant yellow card, and to 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 um to give Stephanie Prapar the referee credit, that was almost instantly review bang red card and that was almost straight away I mean, that's exactly how we want just to go back to VR that's exactly how we want that to work that was reviewed I mean that was that was barely a minute that took barely a minute if that um rightful red card but unfortunately whenever a team goes down to 10 men against Wren it's effectively hampering Wren Wren do not play against 10 men very well at all it's a bit of a um it's a bit of a jinx on Wren that is but mm-hmm. yeah 89th 80, 88th 89th minute and Young pops up to get uh to get the winner big big three points for Wren that was they've lost third place uh the night before to to Lille um and, and as I say they weren't in good form so to snatch that win again we're still we're, it's almost a bit like Marseille you know we're not playing well yet we're able to get these results that keep us in the mix for third spot. So again, you know, Ren, like Marseille, I want to see a response and I want to see that response in the form of, I want the quality of the performance to increase as well, because it wasn't a great effort. There was, however, an absolutely stupendous miss from Adrian Unu. Uh, um, there was a three, three, oh. basically three V one counter attack. It, it was in injury time. So fortunately it didn't matter, but was three V one counter it was, yeah. Rafinha, oh. Rafinha broke clear, delayed the pass, delayed the pass, played the pass, which left the goalkeeper on the floor. Open goal, and from about seven, eight yards out, um, Adriano Anu puts it high and wide by a long, long way. It's it's up there with one of the best of the season in terms of misses, <laughs> um, and it's almost a miss that only Adriano Anu is capable of. He's capable of. <laughs> Of, of scoring some really important goals for Ren, but he's also capable of a miss of that caliber because that was a, an absolutely fantastic miss. For, as I say, fortunately it didn't matter, so we can laugh. At, well, I can laugh about it now. Um, but a bit, very big, big, big three points and a very important three points for Ren to put them back into third. Well, I regret Careful. having you to lose next. Oh, easy. Uh, it, it is, yeah. I mean that's. If ever Toulouse needed to play a team to stop the rot for them, we are the perfect team for them to play. <laughs> I feel like I'm I would put I would put I would put money on <laughs> uh, I would put money on a Toulouse win right here right now. What do you? Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, let's uh, let's see. Next time, next time we meet. <laughs> I'll just put uh, I'll just put one thousand euros on a Toulouse win and see where we are. I've lost any money or not. Toulouse played Lille this weekend and lost, unsurprisingly, 3-0. Two goals from uh, Loïc Grémy, uh, one from Renato Sanchez, uh, after a terrible clearance from Mauro Goicochea, who's Toulouse's third goalkeeper, so they've had, um, they've had some injury problems there. Uh, the GFFN article in The Guardian this week is uh, Loic Remy has found his voice and his scoring boots at Lille. 
by Adam White and Eric Devon. You can find that in The Guardian. Do have a look. Um, yeah. <laughs> Elsewhere, Dijon drew with Monaco 1-1. Angers beat Montpellier 1-0. So it's the return of, of Montpellier's away form there. Uh, and uh, Strasbourg drew, drew with Amiens. Nil-nil. Uh, which is, I guess, a positive for Amiens. Uh, two, two points in one week uh, is, is an improvement for them. Um, in Ligue 2, the big result this week was Caen winning against second place Lens 4-1 in Lens uh, with two goals from uh, players you will know from, from Ligue 1 in previous season, seasons, Prince Onyangé and Malik Choukounté uh, each scored two goals. Um, <clears throat> there's a one no, of Lons, my are going to manage to 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 to, to bug it all up again, aren't they? Yeah, they're in a, they're it in trouble. It does seem like it because trois trois won this evening against Auxerre. They oh, keep dear. calling it a derby for some reason. It's stupid. And now trois are on the same amount of points as Lens, and I think there there was something like twenty points ahead a couple of months back. So is it not a derby? I never know where Auxerre is, to be why honest. Why is it not in Burgundy? Was Auxerre in Burgundy? But they're yeah. kind of close to each other. I mean, no, I mean, they, they are close. The Queen Derby is like you know, uh, it's it's like Queen Paris versus Beauvais Derby. It's just well, that never happens insane. though. <laughs> no, that never happens. But I mean, Reims Trois is a derby because they're both the Champagne region. But yeah, Trois is yeah, a lot no, closer to Auxerre than it is no, to Reims. Auxerre, Auxerre is, is just well. I don't, I don't know. Maybe this is, is uh, for another podcast. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> what, what's the, what's the, 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 the geography? The geography of France. Yeah, we'll do we'll do a, a Ligue 2 podcast specializing on the clubs from. Reims versus Nantes is very is, is a very interesting one. Yeah, but like for example, Rennes Caen is a, is also a rivalry, even though they're in separate regions. Yeah, but can't I wouldn't call Rennes Caen a derby though. It's not a derby. I agree. No, no. no I, 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 I like to christen it either the Derby du Julien Ferre or yeah. the Derby <laughs> du Cidre. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yes. Anyways, so Trois beat Auxerre. Yeah, the three playoff teams at the moment are Trois Lens and Clermont. Um, Ajaccio are in second place, leapfrogging Lens after having beaten Le Mans 2-0. Orléans, uh, bottom side Orléans, beat Le Havre who are currently missing their star player, Tino Cadewere. Um, and that's that for Ligue 2. In the Women's League, uh, Lyon beat fourth place Montpellier 5-0. And, uh, you know, nothing too special outside of that. There was also an interesting match in Coupe Gambardella this weekend, which is the U19 uh, Cup in France. And it's always, um, it, it's quite a big deal for, for a U19 tournament. Uh, PSG played Lyon in the round of 16. Uh, Ryan Cherki was playing for Lyon, but the star of the match was uh, apparently Kais Ruiz, who, who scored a free kick for PSG. PSG won the match 5-1 against a 10-man Lyon. Uh, so they're on to the next round. Um, that's all from us today. So thanks, Rich. Thanks, Phil. Thank you very much. Thank you. And um, do remember to check out The Modern Footballer, our new magazine in in co-production with our friends from from GIFN, GGFN and GSFN. It's at getfootballnewsfrance.com slash magazine. You know, 100 pages of, of great stories about, you know, clubs across Europe, player pro- profiles and so on. 
Uh, it, it was a pleasure contributing. We'd love to get it done again, and we really appreciate your guys' support on this one. Uh, in the meantime, uh, there's a preview show coming out on Friday. Uh, they'll be talking about whatever happens in Lyon-Juventus this week, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening.